Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is the founder and principal of Canarev Solutions. He has been a licensed attorney in the state of Ohio for 30 years, as well as a successful small business owner. He manages his team's projects from start to finish, ensuring regulatory and licensing compliance. With experience on cannabis license applications in multiple states, his winning approach emphasizes thorough research and analysis of the law, building the right team of industry experts and local professionals, and diligent project management. He also specializes in helping clients secure necessary financing, utilizing his active network of venture capitalists and sales leaseback REITs. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Greg May, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, man. Yeah, you uh, you and I have worked on a couple of cool things. We've chatted a bunch of times beforehand. And so um, I'm super excited for this conversation just to dig dig a little bit further into your background, kind of what you learned uh, on your journey into the cannabis industry and, you know, pick apart a couple of golden nuggets. So, you know, I could take those and, and run with them myself. So I think a good place to start, like I often do, is, you know, what attracted you into the cannabis industry and what was that that journey or that path like for you? Um when you first entered the space? Well, I guess you could say my journey into cannabis started 50 years ago during, during the seventies. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of the seventies. I grew up um, in the seventies. I was born in 1962. Um, you know, looking back, the, the, those were very turbulent times uh, with the Vietnam war and, 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 and a lot of different things going on that, that impacted my life greatly. Um, and around that time is is when you know cannabis was kind of starting to come out of the closet. I, I guess we could say that. And mm -hmm. and and uh, I won't say that it was a you know what, what certainly wasn't normalized in those periods of in that period of time. If, if you if you happened to enjoy cannabis during that time, you were a pothead. Uh, uh, you know, uh, there's all kinds of different um, you know slang uh, terms. None of them were very endearing. Um, but, uh, you know, that's when I was, I guess, first exposed to cannabis. Um, and to be honest, I mean, you know, as growing up as a teenager in the seventies, you know, I had choice to, you know, alcohol was obviously the drug of choice, if you will. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think I quickly determined at that age in my mid teens that, that I enjoyed, you know, cannabis more than alcohol. Now that'll be interesting later in the story, but, but, uh, but that's, you know, kind of how I grew up with it. And then, you know, um, uh, I went to uh, the university of Cincinnati. I majored in economics. I uh, went to law school there. And, and when I got out of law school, I, uh, uh, started practicing bankruptcy law and, uh, and, and really didn't enjoy that. Uh, I was taking people's uh, cars and houses away from them for a living. And, uh, you know, I kind of realized yeah. I wasn't going to love doing that for the rest of my life. Um, so uh, when I really decided I needed to make a change, I really took a hard turn uh, and, and got out of the practice of law, tr the traditional practice in terms of working in a law firm. And I became um, one of the early uh, franchisees for Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, along with my uh, my brother and my dad, um, we ended up uh, having three units here in Columbus, Ohio. We did it for 18 years. Um, when we joined the company, I think we were, the, we were the 35th franchise or the 35th location, I should say. Uh, when we sold them to another franchisee in 2013, uh, there were over a thousand. So we, uh, I really had a front row seat uh, on not just uh, 
what it's what it's like to franchise, uh, and that you know, I learned a lot of things about that. But but to have a front row seat of watching a company, you know, go from uh, you know thirty five to a thousand, uh, the, the marketing department when we signed up for our first location had one person in it. Um, the, the 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 menus were being printed on newsprint, uh, and and you know just to the to the point where you know I ended up serving on. Uh, an advertising board uh, was elected to serve on an advertising board for the company many years later, where where we were actually uh, implementing for the first time real marketing strategy and and real branding, you know, and things like that. So that was very educational. Um, so when I when we sold those in 2013, I really didn't uh, know exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I'd become very enamored with the craft beer market um, and the craft the growth of craft beer. Uh, our Buffalo Wild Wings were some of the first ones to actually, uh, we had 18 taps. That was one of our big things, you know, advantages back in the day. And I, I, we were one of the first locations to start focusing on local, local craft beers. And, you know, that, that now, you know, it's everywhere. But uh, yeah. so when we, when I got out, I was talked into co-founding a, a craft beer distributorship. Um, uh, I was pretty naive about that. I, I didn't realize uh, how long it would take to make money in that industry based on the fact that, um, you know, the big distributors really kind of build a moat around the business, you know? So, yeah. uh, I didn't, I knew that I wasn't going to do that very long, but, but the good news is that that craft beer distributor still exists. I think it's, uh, it's been sold a couple of times now, but, um, I still see the beers in the market. So I guess that's my legacy to craft beer, but I really, uh, at that point also realized like, again, I'm not a fan of, of alcohol so much, uh, even though I did it for mm-hmm. 20 years, um, I can honestly tell you that during those 20 years, I never really slept that well. Um, you know, mm. you, 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 just the, the threat of, of what could happen if you're serving people alcohol and you're not being responsible about it. Um, you, you know, when you have multiple locations, you just can't, you can't be everywhere at once. You're, you're putting your trust in a lot of people. So um, I was happy to kind of move on from that. And that's right when uh, Ohio was just past their medical marijuana law. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to go back and, and, and start maybe applying what I've learned in the small business world to a legal practice. And, and I, I had a lot of friends that were starting or had started businesses and was getting a lot of calls from them for help and things like that. So I thought, well, I need to go you know, sharpen my legal blade a little bit. So I signed up to take some continuing legal education classes. And the very first one that I took was on Ohio's new medical marijuana law because I thought, well, I can sit through an hour of that. I won't get, I won't get too bored with that. Right. Um, so when I was in that class, it's kind of when I had this light bulb moment that, you know, as an attorney, I'm sitting around looking around at these other attorneys taking this class. Uh, this is back in the day when you did everything in person. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I realized at that moment, I could be at the starting line in Ohio in terms of learning cannabis law and, and what this program was going to, um, mean and people were going to need to get licenses and so forth. Um, and, you know, once I kind of realized that I started looking into opportunities and quickly um, was hired by a multi, a, a, a vertical uh, operator out of Arizona that, that came in, you know, was coming to Ohio to make applications and ended up working for that company for 16 uh, years or 16 years. It felt like 16 years. I guess. <laughs> it was 16 months, actually. Uh, a lot of that time was spent waiting on application results. And, and, and while I, we were waiting, I got to do uh, applications in uh, California and Michigan, work on um, different things. I really got to learn the vertical and, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
unfortunately, I never made it out to Arizona to tour uh, their uh, 300,000 square foot cultivation facility. But, um, but I, you know, I really did learn the business side of it. And, uh, and then I said, well, you know, I'm going to, I want to stay in this. I, I didn't, um, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I decided to set up a consulting practice. What I didn't realize was how long it was going to take between the end of that application cycle and the beginning of the next one, which turned out to be four years. Um, and uh, so during that time, uh, you know, it's been tough. Our, our, our program here is kind of small and, uh, you know, it, it, it's been, a little, it's taken a little while for it to get to a size where it can support a consulting practice. Um, but, um, you know, I've been able to do some other things uh, and, and just in the past couple of years, I would say, you know, things have started to really gain some traction uh, here in Ohio with my practice in the Midwest in general. So, um, you know, that kind of circuitous route to, to, to the cannabis industry. I love hearing other people's stories. I, I don't tell mine all that much, but uh, after telling it to you, I think you, you probably, <laughs> it, it is sort of a, a series of uh, hard turns uh, to get here, you know, but I'm really happy that I'm here and I'm, I, I love, uh, I love the industry. Um, and, and the people in the industry are great. Um, I met, met some great people, uh, including you and, uh, some of the people that we've worked with. So. Thanks, man. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's interesting how you made the jump from alcohol to cannabis, but more so, you know, what you were doing in the, in the beverage industry. So, can you take us back just to Buffalo Wild Wings real quick? When you were when you were activating these franchises, looking back on it now, what do you think that some of some of the operators or or uh, cannabis businesses today are maybe not thinking of or not considering when they open up one location, two location, three location? From what you saw, that kind of led to some success, maybe led to some challenges. Is, are there any kind of similarities there that you can kind of look back on and be like, okay, I see, I see why these, these people are struggling here. Sure. Um, I, I would say probably number one, um, and, 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 and my practice uh, in, in my consulting business has uh, mostly focused on the real estate side of, uh, mm. of, of the, uh, of licensing and, you know, the development of, a facility or, you know, whether that's a dispensary or cultivation and, um, you know, it, it, it you, everybody's heard the saying it's about location, location, location. Well, you know, in, in retail, that is that in a lot of businesses. It's true. It's especially true in retail. Uh, it's very true in the restaurant business, right? Mm -hmm. um, the problem that, you know, a lot of our operators have today that I don't think a lot of people necessarily, the consumers, let's say, understand is, you know, they may go to a dispensary and go, why, why would you put a dispensary here? Well, in a lot of cases, that's one of the only places they would have been able to put it. Um, mm, we're, we're still fighting that in the industry where um, the, the general uh, and proven, uh, uh, you know, rules of, of site selection in the retail industry are not able to be applied in this industry yet. And, and so I think, you know, you, some of these places are starting off with a questionable location that will survive. Um, for a time when, when that's the only place that people can go uh, to, to, to buy their products. But when we do get to the point, um, you know, where, where we are going to see things uh, relax a little bit when it comes to zoning and things like that, um, and we do have a better selection of potential retail sites, then 
then those questionable locations, those those people run for some serious challenges. Just like if you were to put a, you know, a a, a restaurant in a questionable location, um, th things like parking, uh, the traffic that goes by the location, uh, whether or not it might be able to uh, fit a a drive through on it. You know, th these are all things that can have significant impacts on your business, largely dictated by your site. So, um, you know, I'd say that's number one and. And then second, you know, I mean, I'm also, uh, uh, I have my medical card here in Ohio and I, I, um, I do uh, enjoy uh, going to the various dispensaries to, to check out their operations, who's doing what. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, there's many out there that are doing just right. Um, but, um, you know, understanding the customer service aspect, you know, again, mm -hmm. we're in a very early stages of an industry where, um, some of the general business principles are not yet applying because there's still such a newness to it. And, and, you know, customers are not necessarily uh, discerning yet, but I mean, a lot of them are right. A lot of them are, but, but by and large, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, when you look at and compare it to say the beer industry where, you know, if, if you're going to be um, uh, selling craft beer, you got to know how to talk about it. You know, I think we, we, we do have that in the industry, but, um, but in the customer side, I'm just not sure that people, uh, that there's a lot of brand, you know, brand differentiation, I guess. But the other part of that is we don't really have true interstate commerce. So, you know, we, we just have so many things that have to happen yet in the industry before I think some of these general real estate principles, general business principles, you know, all that, you know, still has to settle out, I think you know, and will ultimately. Yeah, because it seems to me like to your point earlier where you mentioned there's only so much you can do. And sometimes you might see a dispensary pop up in a, in a questionable space where you think to yourself, well, there's not really much parking here, but it almost seems like from what you're saying that they don't really have much of a choice based on a lot of the restrictions and some of the zoning that is currently in place or currently being enforced. It kind of forces them into these areas where sometimes you can't, you know, like they say, beggars can't be choosers. You can't really be picky with where you go because you're sort of restricted with where you can go. And so you're kind of forced into sometimes picking a bad location or what would traditionally be seen as a bad location just because of where we're at right now. Um, in the yeah, industry. And, so is that pretty much it, what you're, that's that's what you're saying? And, you know, yeah. And, and another factor really is, is for just to talk about, for instance, Ohio, what just happened here. I mean, we, we just went, we're going through a, uh, a dispensary application process that um, uh, was was in, originally when Ohio granted dispensary licenses, it was a merit-based process. Um, in this last process, it was a lottery. A lot of states are changing mm -hmm. to this lottery situation. In these lotteries, there's generally an incentive to obviously, if you're playing the lottery, more tickets you can buy, the better chance you have to win, right? I mean, in any lottery that, uh, well, the same kind of thing applies here. So if you're going to try to go for the volume approach, uh, you know, um, there's an incentive to not necessarily choose the best retail locations that you can find because there's going to be more expensive and the more you know, see. So if you come in with a budget and I want to file as many applications as I can with hundred grand, you're, you're not going after the, the, the five-star locations. Um, they're going to cost you more to lock up and sit on. So, um, you know, there is some incentives already built into how we're doing licensing right now that also uh, sort of uh, take things into a little bit of a different direction. Um, you know, just, you know, I think we'll see that in Ohio. I think some people are going to 
take a look at where some of these dispensaries ended up and they're going to be scratching their heads wondering why is that there you know and and mm-hmm. and the reason is very complex <laughs> and, and and i you know you can't tell people the answer in a really short amount of time the answer is just you know it's 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 uh it's a mess <laughs> still yeah you know, yeah yeah and so much so many people are, are preaching the same exact you know struggles and pain points and challenges when it comes to that um I feel like distribution is what it is, is really similar in that sense. And you mentioned that you were, you created a distribution company in the beverage space back in the day. Um, are there certain things that you're kind of eyeing right now that you, you're kind of either, you know, shaking your head to, or you're nodding your head to saying, okay, you know, we need to improve this or, okay, we're moving in the right direction, but you know, progress still needs to be made as far as distribution in, in the cannabis space. Well, yeah, progress definitely needs to be made because we basically <laughs> don't have any distribution in the in the cannabis space to speak of. Um, coming from the beer business, um, and just looking at how that system works, uh, you know, I represented these uh, craft brewers that would that you know, once you start when you start a craft brewer brewer a brewery, you're 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 not going to be able to go out right away and and secure distribution. It just doesn't work that way. You got to prove yourself a little bit. You got to, you know, show that 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 you make a quality product and that people want it, and, and that you can sell. I mean, you you need to be able to sell it first before a, distrib- a distributor then come to you and say, "I'll sell it for you." Um, so, you know, you start out in what we would, you know, they're they're what we call self, you know, self distributors, right? Uh, and a lot of them would have to buy trucks and you know do all that. Uh, much like what we're seeing right now in, in the cannabis industry, because essentially every cannabis operator in Ohio is a grower, every is a self-distributor. You, you're, mm-hmm. you don't have anyone. You're not, so the dream of a brewery is, uh, well, I don't want to have a delivery driver. I don't, I don't want to have trucks. I don't want to have to fix the trucks. I don't, I don't want to be in the delivery business. I just want to make beer. And, and the, the thing they dream about is the day where they just open up the the, the, the dock door and, and there's pallets of beer. They go on a truck, the door goes down, they get a check and they go back and make more beer. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's where they want to get to. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that there's probably people in this industry, in the cannabis industry that kind of yearn for that as well. Um, what's it going to take to get there? Well, uh, you know, we don't have interstate commerce uh, because, you know, every state has its own laws. So there's no standardized testing. Uh, there's no standardized anything really. Um, except for some, you know, we're starting to see some brands uh, go over across state lines through licensing agreements. And for the most part, you'll see consistency to the, 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 but the most they can get it to mm-hmm. um, based on the different laws. Um, but, but we're, we're very far away from a situation where products can be wholesaled across state lines. And, and that is, that's what the big difference is between say the beer wine industry, the beverage industry. And I think the cannabis industry is we don't have our producers, you know, basically selling to, uh, you know, to put it in the farm parlance, like the combine. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and just, Hey, take my stuff and sell it. I'm going to go make some more. We're not, we're not quite there yet. Um, you know, we're not, we're, we're not there at all in the sense of, of, of that model. And I think uh, maybe California has, has tried to do that. I think, but, you know, it, it just, it can work maybe inside of a state market. You know, we may see something like that happen before we see interstate commerce. I don't know, but 
the problem with interstate commerce really is that, you know, lack of a standard. So I think we're very far away from that, you know? Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts? Cause the whole license, the, the whole licensing uh, infrastructure in order to have a brand be deployed across multiple States, it's really interesting to me, but from your perspective, do you think that I'm sure there's a lot of really detailed quality assurance that has to go into the process before actually picking and choosing who you want to partner with, because there's a lot of distance. It's not like you can necessarily just show up um, anytime just to kind of check in on them. So do you think that is somewhat of a long-term sustainable approach to getting your brand out there across multiple states? Or do you think this is something that the brands who are able to make it possible and make it happen now, they'll utilize that approach, but then if interstate commerce opens up, they're going to, they would rather go the more traditional route. Well, that's a really interesting question because if, if you look at the landscape right now, you, you see the large multi-state operators are, are uh, it, it seems as if they're trying to get in as many states as possible, right? Um, but in a, uh, if you look at the brewery model again, you know, look at an Anheuser-Busch, you know, they set up several large manufacturing uh, breweries, you know, uh, in various big cities, St. Louis, there's one here in Columbus, New Jersey, so forth. They set it up more regionally, right? Um, and, and for an interstate commerce model, you know, I'm not sure. Um, now, now, if we end up having some kind of interstate commerce that preserves each state's right to be autonomous in terms of mm. regulating cannabis, um, yeah, then maybe it probably does still make sense to have, you know, these locations, but, but ultimately if we do get to real true interstate commerce that would rival something like in the beverage industry, then I think, um, you'll probably, you know, you'll probably see some of these larger MSOs end up going more to that regional, you know, approach. Uh, but, but right now it just can't, it can't work that way. So, um, you know, how that affects building a brand. I mean, I, th I think, um, you know, I guess really we only have like the, the uh, Cresco's and the GTI's, you know, of the world to look to, but, but we also have cookies. And, and I think, mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in how they've built their brand um, because a lot of it rivals what you see in other uh, traditional consumer markets, um, including the restaurant business. Uh, so, so I, you know, they, they, they get it. Uh, and, and maybe we'll see some more, people try to study that approach. Um, you know, could you, could you actually start to interrupt, but what you said was really interesting right there. Could you actually just unpack that a little bit? I'm curious what you mean by that, where how cookies, the way they've kind of set things up, it almost uh, kind of like rivals or takes, takes something out of the restaurant industry's playbook on expanding their, their footprint. Well, you know, they're in all in, 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 what I learned in marketing from Buffalo Wild Wings is, you know, there, there are certain iconic brands that are, have elevated the brand above what the sum of the parts of what they sell is, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. Nike or, you know, the Golden Arches, you know. Right, um, right. I, I, when my daughter was uh, like two or three years old, we'd be driving down to Cincinnati. Um, it's a very straight, flat drive through the cornfields of Ohio. And, you know, in the very, very distant before my wife and I could even see it, my daughter would notice the golden arches and she'd be like French fries. Okay. I mean, this is at three years old and she could notice there was a speck on the horizon, you know, um, that, that kind of, that kind of branding has always, um, interested me. Uh, I, I think, um, 
it's hard to get to that level. If, you know, there's a, that there's, there aren't that many brands, Coca-Cola, you know, Apple, you know, you know them all. But um, what 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 Cookies has done, you know, is is basically built a lifestyle brand that happens to sell cannabis, and 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 uh, you know, it's a, it's a, first of all, you know, founded by a musician. Um, you know, the clothing and the apparel aspect of it, um, the the the, the uh, interesting names and things that they come up with for their for their strains right. and so forth. I mean, they I think everything they do is is with all you know all arrows are pointing true north in that in that organization when it comes to branding um and and whether whether it's even something they think about now or whether it's completely just embedded into their ethos and it just happens you know i don't know but i think that there's a brand that is set up for interstate commerce right um and they're now mm -hmm. going out and licensing they're in michigan now um you know um so they're coming here, you know, they're, they're coming out what, uh, east and, and uh, we'll see more and more, you know, how successful that approach is. But, you know, for the most part, I think you have these large organizations that get licenses and then they kind of back into the brand. OK, well, now we have a processor license. Now we need a brand. Let's just go pay someone, you know, to invent a brand for us. And, and I'm not saying that that approach doesn't work. You have to start somewhere. But. But what, what's what you do after that, right? And and what you do with the brand. And when you look at cookies, for instance, I mean, you know, I don't even know if cannabis was, I, I would have, you'd have to ask Burner, I guess, but I don't even know if cannabis was what they originally set out to do. You know what I mean? It's kind of hard to tell. Um, and so, um, but they're really good at it. And, and you know, and and so um, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that helps unpack it a little bit for you, but, but I, I just feel like we're, Going back to what I said earlier, there's still a lot of things that people are getting away with in this industry because we're in this licensing rush. Uh, it's all about licensing right now. Even compliance is not really what I would call a front burner issue in a lot of states. We're still in this mad green rush stage. And so from the customer perspective too, people are just, hey man, you know, I can go uh, buy my cannabis over at this retail place and, and I don't know, like I said earlier, how discerning they are when, when all this stuff catches up, right? And, and one of those things is the way these brands are being built too, I think, you know, where, where people are getting away with some um, things that you may not, you particularly, you know, and, and, and you deal with this all the time every day that you probably would say, well, you know, there's a few things that maybe they wouldn't, I wouldn't have done, but you know, look, they're being successful. But the question is, you know, for how long? Mm -hmm. 100%. And I, it's really interesting that you that you said that. Um, thank you for just unpacking that and kind of elaborating on it, because there was an interview that I was watching recently with Berner, and he was he was alluding to um, a deal that a Canadian LP presented him and, and cookies with. I, I'm pretty sure it was to buy out either a majority or almost the entire company. And at the time, I think it was about $800 million. The, the entire deal was worth about $800 million. And most of it was actually predicated not on cannabis sales, but on everything else that the brand sells, backpacks, rolling trays, papers, um, T-shirts, hats, you know, the, the lifestyle brand that you alluded to. And he even said he was like, you know, the the lifestyle brand and everything that they're selling. <laughs> Batteries. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. And so all of that that like that business in and of itself is just a complete machine but on paper the the cannabis side of it 
it doesn't actually produce as much money on paper because you still can't have as many deductions on, you know, in, exactly. in terms of taxes um, and, and all of that. And so it's, it's really fascinating how you said that. And then watching that interview, it just kind of, you know, triggered a light bulb and a, and a flashback in my head. So that, that all connects perfectly. Um, Greg, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to wrap up with one question that I love to ask every single guest. And that is, um, you know, what's, what's one golden nugget that if you can either look back on, you know, when you first started your, your career in cannabis that you wish you would have known or wish you could have shared with yourself, uh, that would have maybe not necessarily made things easier, but it would have certainly helped you, um, kind of move along a lot more successfully or maybe yeah, further and think, faster um, than you would have wished. Man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I explained how I kind of came into cannabis uh, growing up in the 70s. And, you know, I guess I came into this, you know, admittedly thinking of cannabis as uh, a recreational thing. Uh, you know, I was comparing it to alcohol, right? Um, what I, I've realized um, over the last five years, I guess, is that, uh, you know, how, how seriously people take it uh, as medicine and, mm. you know, watching, hearing um, stories from people and watching uh, how this impacts their life and makes their life better. You know, I guess I'm not, like you said, I'm not sure it would have made it my life, my journey any, any easier or anything, but, but I think um, maybe if I knew that starting out, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe who knows what, where the path would have led. Right. Um, right. I never looked back, but, but I'm, that's one of the things I guess I'm, I'm most uh, grateful uh, to have, you know, learned yeah. along the journey is, is that because uh, no matter what happens when, when we get to adult use uh, and we will, um, I don't think that's going to change that much. You know, I, I didn't realize that, I guess, and I still, no matter what, you know, if that just makes people's medicine easier to access or allows them to grow it themselves or make their own edibles uh, and those kind of things, because all those things are possible, right? They're being done right, right. now. Um, you know, it, 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 I think that, um, I hope that we we don't stigmatize cannabis the way, you know, and I'm not saying alcohol doesn't deserve the stigma that it has. I just hope, I hope we don't, lump it into the same bucket and treat it like alcohol. I, you know, we, 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 um, we had a bout issue here in Ohio and there's one that passed in Michigan and, and it was titled something like uh, treat cannabis like alcohol. Man, it makes me shudder. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. want, I want, I want cannabis to be legal and I want people to have access to their medicine, but I do not want it to be treated like alcohol because it's not. And uh, it's, it's, it's got so much more promise. Um, it does good things for people. Um, and uh, so I think we got to be careful, you know, how we, how we characterize it. Yeah. Even in the recreational sense. Yeah. It's, you know, you can use it recreationally, but at the end of the day, you're not going to see many, many riots or, or bar fights break out because, you know, people were smoking a joint or, or yeah. uh, hitting a vape pen or something like that. that yeah, we might, we might see sleep-ins or, you know, sit-ins that turn into sleep-ins or something like that. That, that, that could happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or food trucks lining up right outside, but that's about it. That's probably the worst case scenario. Barricade, a barricade of food trucks that will not let anybody buy. You know, something like Some that. backed up parking from that, but that's probably about as as bad as it's going to get. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for uh, for joining the show. 
this was awesome. I feel like I learned a bunch and, and I'm sure people listening are going to, are going to find a couple golden nuggets in there as well. Thanks again, Greg, if people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Sure. Well, first of all, let me thank you for having me on the show. I, I always enjoy talking to you and I always learn things from talking to you. Um, and I've really enjoyed this chat. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me, uh, it, the, my website is, uh, canarevsolutions.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, LinkedIn slash uh, whatever Gregory D. May. Um, uh, also, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Greg May ESQ. Um, so I'm on those things all the time. And, and uh, if you can't find me there, then uh, I'm playing golf. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap up this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.